persecution, faith, and the struggle to evolve in the X-Men universe. Are you just watching episode 110, X-Men Apocalypse, part 2? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're back once again talking about X-Men Apocalypse, though we have a few weeks in between our recordings this time. We actually pushed pause. We had a lot to discuss with this one. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and uh, it's it was a long movie. You know, it, it amazed me when I went back that it was such a long movie. And so doing a two-parter kind of makes sense. I revisited some of our two-parters in the past going back and listening to some of our older episodes. And it is really kind of fun when we can sit down and, and really go in depth instead of just browsing the surface like we do movies in the theater. So this is a little fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how long a movie it was until you just said that. Two hours and 24 minutes. <laughs> didn't feel that long. I know. Isn't that amazing? That That was one of the things that kind of came true to me was the fact that some movies feel long and some movies are long. And this movie was long, while Tenet felt long. (laughs) (laughs) Before we dive into talking about this, and we do have a lot to talk about, so we won't spend too much time on it. I just wanted to thank our listeners, because our October was the best download month we have had yet. At least since I've been tracking our stats. You guys rock. uh, Thank you so much for listening. And... And telling other people about us and getting the word out. We had a lot of people join our group in the last month or so. And that is just, it's helpful for Tim and I to know that you all are out there. So yes, it is. continue to connect with us. We, we really, really do like being able to chat with our listeners in the group and get feedback. And this is just a wonderful experience for us to know that our listeners are out there and, and care about our content. So if, if you think about it, come join our group. It's on Facebook. You can get there by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community, and that'll take you directly to our Facebook group. And we now have it set up where you can just answer a few questions. Make sure you answer all three, and then you can be automatically added to our group, and we'd love to have you. Are you just watching? When you gather the family around the TV, are you prepared to use your biblical worldview to discuss what you see with your spouse and kids? It takes a little practice to not just watch. Are You Just Watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com. And don't just watch. Okay. Probably the biggest issue that has to do with all of the Mm X-Men, but specifically it comes up quite a bit in this one, is the concept of persecution and discrimination. Yeah. And and how you deal with that. And it's an ongoing argument, actually, between uh, Charles, Professor Xavier, and Eric Magneto. And... It's one that we've seen like from the very beginning. I actually went back and watched the original X-Men since we recorded our first episode on Apocalypse. And it was very interesting to see how that discussion fleshed out in that movie. And so going back and, and watching that was a good reminder that this concept that we see in Apocalypse has been there all along. 
when you say the original X-Men, you mean Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen? Yes. Yes. Okay. The first X-Men movie. Yeah. Right. Right. As opposed I, I read- to the original one with, uh, uh, what's his name in it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, James McAvoy. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the one that was just called X-Men. Right. So I rewatched that, and I also rewatched First Class since we recorded our other episode. And, you know, both of those are kind of like the beginnings of their series. And it was um, th- this ongoing relationship between Eric and Charles and the discussions that they have about the differences in how mutants are being treated in society. Because Charles is a very optimistic person. He thinks that if we can just grin and bear it and always present the good and, you know, kind of woo people over that eventually things will iron out and get better. And Eric is of the opinion that you just have to make it work. And that had some very interesting ramifications on what's been going on in our culture. As I was watching X-Men Apocalypse specifically, it, it brought to mind the last I want to say six months worth of Black Lives Matter protests. And I felt like there was a similarity between the the frustration level of Eric and the people who, you know, subscribe to his philosophy, to his frustration level, and the frustration level that you see with the folks who are protesting like Floyd's death and you know, all the questionable police custody and police uh, action deaths. And they really are at the same level. They've crossed this point where it's no longer self-defense, but they have decided that they're going to take the offense. Uh, The best defense is a good offense type thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, with BLM and with, uh, with Magneto and and his group, they've started attacking the system that is the cause uh, that they believe to be the cause of the discrimination. In the case of the X-Men universe, I mean, the filmmakers make it very clear that the discrimination runs through all levels of society, but not everybody is afraid of mutants, uh, particularly if you take all the movies, you know, as a whole. Right. But Black Lives Matter protesters are attacking. They're they're seeking to, and this isn't all people protesting George Floyd's death and all those causes out there, but. BLM specifically is calling for stuff like demonetization of police. And some of the more radical members have commented that their goal is to completely tear down the American system. And that root their Marxist. If, if you look like a, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my next comment is uh, they're going to tear it down and replace it with something they're convinced is better. Which is ironic when you compare that against Magneto, because he was born out of a society that had embraced radical government. Right. And uh, actually gave birth to the Third Reich, the Nazi Party. Which, uh, which is exactly his what we would yeah. get. Yeah. yeah. So I'm finding it a weird juxtaposition. Uh, we were talking about com- uh, compare and contrast because there's a clear comparison here in my mind. But the the contrast is there too. 
But in reality, both groups are using violence to get what they need. And that's directly opposed to what Xavier wants. Right. Um, Xavier wants to, wants to make a name for mutants in the world by seeking to help. And he's clearly devoted to that. And Magneto, Eric is just as clearly convinced that that is a useless endeavor. And he keeps being proven that way. You know, like when he, when I went back and watched X-Men, it's like every time he tries to do the right thing, it backfires. And so he gets, yeah. and, and that's what's brought out, you know, even in Apocalypse is that, you know, he, he, he tries it. He tries to just minimize himself and, and go have a family and just do hard manual labor all day. And, you know, just, just be one of the peons in the system. And it, and even that system turns on him. And so he gets to the point where he just doesn't feel like there's any other way that every, every, tr- every path he's tried has resulted in the same thing. And so the system is, is broken and he sees no way to fix it through Charles's methods. Yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> It, one thing that interests me is for Charles' solution to succeed, it has to be a fundamental change to society. But for Eric to be proven right, it only takes a couple people in positions of power. But it has to be the right people. And, and you know, the sad thing about that is that Eric's method creates reverse discrimination. So instead of having... Mm-hmm the X-Men be discriminated against, the mutants, then it's the other people, the normal humans, who are then persecuted and demoralized and set down lower. Yeah. And so, and to me, that's kind of the way I see the, the BLM movement. It's like, yes, Black Lives Matter. And I get tired of people just using uh, slogans to force acceptance of much more complicated concepts. It's like, I can agree that every black life, every person who is of color in the world, that their lives matter. I can make, I can completely get behind that statement. What Mm -hmm. I can't get behind is a movement that sets them up on a pedestal and, and feels like in order to make their lives matter, everything else can't matter. Because it's a much more complex problem than just saying Black Lives Matter. And saying Black Lives Matter doesn't fix the problem. Right. And it just creates animosity. And so I guess in, in the way of, of seeing it in this compare and contrast, you know, of BLM with uh, the mutant movement, as Eric puts it forward, is for one to ascend, the other must descend. And I really feel like that's how BLM is working in our culture today. In order for Black lives to matter, then that means that no other lives can count as much in order for them to feel like they have achieved the status that makes up for all of the bad things that have ever happened. But, you know, Xavier's position is a lot more like the Christian position. Right. Where his goal is for improvement across the board, regardless of, you know, mutation or race, creed, religion, you name it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot like what we see as Christians, because more so recently, we are 
called out for our beliefs. It's, uh, I was talking at our community group last night how I have been called out by my family members as being a pedophile lover because mm-hmm. I pointed out that Christ's love is just as capable of forgiving pedophiles as it is forgiving thieves, murderers, tax evaders, people who steal pens from the office. Mm-hmm. And people, they want to limit God contrary to, to Scripture. Right. They want God's justice to be only the stuff that they think is really bad. Yeah, I used to hear it explained to me once, and I, I thought it worked really well. It's like if you were looking at a bar graph, and this is how humanity you know, judges sin, where we would consider a little white lie, you know, a little small bar on the bar graph where, you know, rape or murder would be like super high on a bar graph. Right. And right. that is the way humanity views sin is we, re- we rate the sins on our bar graph. But the way God looks at sin is he's above the bar graph and looking down at it. And so any and- amount of sin, regardless of how we rate it on that bar graph, it's just sin to him. Because when he looks down on it, that's all he sees is that it's sin. He doesn't rate yeah. the level of sin. And because of that, when we go back to Romans, where it reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of God, then that's what he's he's looking down on that bar graph. And all he's seeing is that we're all sinners. Every single one of us, yeah. we all have sin. None of it is compatible with his holiness. Right. It doesn't matter if if your sin was to, you know, help a little old lady across the street. If if it was sin to do it, if you were doing it for your own glory and and not for God's glory, that's sinful. Right. That is just as disqualifying as you know, robbing a bank. And when you look at it that way, then there's no judgment. It's like I I think it was um was it one of the Duggars or somebody that came forward as had some horrid sin that they were hiding and and everybody you know oh they've been so self-righteous all these years and look they're a sinner too and Mm -hmm. i was just like you know what we're all sinners even even the publicly christian families you know they they have sin and we can't constantly be judging expecting people to live completely righteous upright lives we all have hidden sins. And as Christians, it's usually uh, we try to hide our sins because we don't want people to know how how bad of sinners we are. (laughs) But at the same point, we have to be upfront, especially as our witness to the world, we have to be upfront about the fact that we are sinners and not come across as being completely self-righteous so that when our sins do come to light, because they will, we can always say, you know, Hey, we I know I'm a sinner. I have never said I wasn't. <laughs> and so, you know, this is all stuff that is washed in the blood of Christ and you can have mm-hmm. that assurance as well. We shouldn't be reveling in our sin and trying to live to the you know, the example that Christ set for us is something that we will always strive for through our whole lives as Christians. And so we shouldn't be reveling in our sin or continuing in our sin recklessly. So we should feel convicted right. and constantly trying to to walk away from the old man. And we can only do that through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, not by not by any effort on our part. But we must still seek it 
Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that comes true when you're looking at, you know, wrapping this back around to living together as people of worth and value and not judgment. And and I think judgment comes in, in so many different ways, because like you see Eric talking about the way mutants are treated, which in the X-Men universe, they are treated pretty bad. I mean, you, you see. Yeah, no question. You, you see them being ostracized from, you know, kicked out of their families. You see them being experimented on. You see them, you know, just horrible things happening to them. And so they have a right to be upset. And, you know, ones like Mystique and Nightcrawler, who look so completely different that they stand out. And I think that that is mm-hmm. uh, one of the ways that they, I, I think, are implying, you know, kind of the discriminatory nature of of culture who looks at people who are of a darker skin shade or a different shape of eye or whatever. Uh, we use, you know, outer characteristics to d- judge people. And they get ostracized because of the way they look, or they feel ostracized because of the way they look. I mean, that's one of the things that comes out in this movie is Mystique. She's actually almost idolized in culture, but she's very self-conscious about the way she looks. In the particular movie of Apocalypse, she's considered a heroine by not just mutants, but a lot of humans as well, because she stopped this horrible thing from happening in Days of Future Past. And so she's very self-conscious about the way she looks. She hides herself. And it's all because of perceived, I don't know that persecution is the right word, but. Yeah, it's and, and I don't know that perceived actually is because, I mean, because of the way she looks when she is not exercising her power, she does get uh, ostracized. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but I mean, she's signed on to Eric's philosophy even working in the uh, Xavier school she she still felt like Eric was had the right idea yeah oh actually she didn't work for uh, Xavier school until the end of this one well she had been a friend of Charles before Eric was ever on the picture right by the first class yeah. timeline yeah although in the franchise it seems like the drastic difference in look is only is not something that is fully used. Uh, you know, it's not all the time they go out. There's a scene in this one where four of the younger mutants, they run out to the mall. Mm-hmm. They steal one of uh, Xavier's cars and they go to the mall. And they're coming out of Return of the Jedi, I think. And they make some Easter egg crack about the third movie is always the worst or something like that. And one of the four is Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. Kurt. And of all the mutants in the movies, he is the one who clearly looks the most different. It, not only does he look the most different, but his looks are straight out of mythology for Demonic. devils. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet they're walking out of the movie theater and through the mall and not a single onlooker looks twice at him. And for me, that actually broke it a little bit. That broke the the idea. That he was turning heads. Yeah. Yeah. I understand why creatively they would want to do that because they didn't want to take away from the the dialogue moment. And the bonding that they were doing as a group and all that stuff. Yeah. I recently have been piecemealing season 11 of Doctor Who 
And in one of the episodes, they end up going back to 1956 Alabama and meeting Rosa Parks. And one of Doctor Who's companions in season 11 is an early 20-something African-Englishman. We have African-American here. Do they have African-Englishmen there? Anyway, they highlight how severe the restrictions were and how impactful and insulting it was to have whites-only water fountains and coloreds water fountains. I guess I'm saying all this to say that even as bad as they make the discrimination in the X-Men universe or in the X-Men movie franchise, I still don't think it's as bad as uh, it has been for discriminated classes in actual American history. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, let's, let's go back even further to first century uh, the discrimination of uh, by Rome against early Christians. Yeah. And, you know, what were those early Christians uh, told to do? We've got Matthew 5, 10 through 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every evil thing against you because of me. But then it, in the same chapter, Jesus also says that this is in the the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, don't resist the evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Uh, And that's Matthew 5.39. Yeah, that whole passage is is pretty great too, because it's it's even the talk about if if they make you ask, you know, walk a mile, go with them too. You know, that was that that whole concept of being able to conscript someone into your service. They just walk up and say, hey, you, carry my bag. Yeah, any any centurion could do it, but he could only do it for a mile. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's where the going an extra mile comes from. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but these examples from Sermon on the Mount are a lot more like Xavier's approach. Definitely further from Eric's approach. Yeah. And, you know, in, in addition to that, and, and I think this is one of the issues that I have brought up multiple times with having to do with, you know, the the cultural issues we have here in the United States. The United States is a mixing pot. We have all sorts here. And it's been one of those situations for a very long time. And I am not discounting the fact that that some groups have been treated badly. I mean, it's not even just African-Americans. I mean, the Japanese during World War II, Japanese-Americans were actually rounded up and put in, in horrible camps because everybody thought they were traitors. Yeah. And, you know, all that kind of stuff has gone on and and there are evils in the past of our country. But for the most part, our country was founded on the idea that we are all equal. There is no class system in, in the United States. It wasn't set up that way. And because of that, I think that a lot of the issues that we have here in the United States, especially now, I'm not talking about in the 60s or World War II or any time in the past, Right now, I think the main problem that we have in the United States is envy. It's because we have a culture that is a slightly based more on meritocracy than a capitalistic system where what you contribute to society, you get back. And so if you are set up in a way where you uh, have a good foundation, if you were raised in a good family and you got a good education 
and you were able to follow the success, you know, path in life, then you tend to do very well. And if you didn't have that foundation, then you tend to not have the opportunities because you were raised in a bad neighborhood or you had bad schools, you didn't have, you know, your father left and there wasn't the financial ability for you to go to college and get a degree or follow a a more lucrative career path or whatever. It creates envy. And so you, you look over at the person who has more than you and you judge them based on that, that they're more, they have more. And scripture tells us that we're not supposed to be judging ourselves based on our neighbor. And so the Christian attitude in that, and even it, it goes not just the Christian, it's Judeo-Christian because it goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments and the original law that was passed mm-hmm. on to the Israelites, that we're not supposed to covet. We're not supposed to covet our neighbor's wife. We're not supposed to covet our neighbor's animals, his property, his job, his house, his success, his career. We're not supposed to be looking at what our neighbor has and going, why don't I have that? Our, and Christ told us to be content. And so I think that a lot of what is going on in our culture today is we're all coveting. We're all looking at what everybody else has and going, I want to have that. And it's crazy because we live in the richest country in the world. Even the poorest of us have access to things that that even somewhat well-off middle-class people in some other countries could only dream to have. So it, it just the more we have, the more we want, and the more we covet, and the yeah. more we, and and so it, it's just a, a problem that breeds itself over and over again. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have justice and and feel the need for equality, but that's not the Christian response, and it should never be the Christian response because the Christian response should always be selflessness and the lack of comparing yourself to others. So as Mm -hmm. Christians, we should be treating others as if they are the same as us. That's the whole love your neighbor as yourself. And living in humility, our pastor has been dealing a, a, a series that's been on humility and Christian pride that has just been really hitting home with me. Because it is so easy to think even when you're doing this whole coveting thing, you know, well, I'm pretty well off, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And at, at the same time, that it's easy to look at somebody and think the complete opposite, you know, that I'm not doing as well as that person. And why can't yeah. that person, you know, give to me? So yeah, it, it's an attitude on both sides that we have to remedy as Christians. Yeah, it, it pervades it, even uh, when somebody at work gets a bonus or gets a promotion because they've been doing well. Mm hmm. It's it's so easy to see that as a threat to you, you know. Yeah. Oh, why why didn't I get that? How come I haven't been recognized? Yeah. It, and it's just not right. It's not the right way to do it. And and here, this is actually as I have right said over and over again. James is my favorite book of the Bible. And <laughs> uh, in James four, there is a series. It's James four one through three, and these. This speaks directly to what we're talking about within the Christians, because you have to remember, we don't expect the world to act like saved people. Right. But as Christians within the context of the church and the Christian body, this is the answer to this issue. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. 
You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And that's a scary thought when you realize that James is talking to the Christian church when he said that. Yeah. So how yeah, on earth are we going to expect the, the world to act any better when we're doing it amongst ourselves? It's not reasonable to. <laughs> and in Romans thirteen seven through 10, it says, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment all are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Mm. And that's exactly the, you know, what Charles Xavier is trying to present, you know, to the the mutants who follow his track anyway, <laughs> is, yeah. you know, let's act with love and generosity to the people who do not have what we have. And they will love us for it because we are not condemning them for their treatment of us. And at the same time, we are not expecting anything of them except to be the recipients of our love and affection. And yeah, that's hard. We have to accept it when they don't see our our love of love and affection as something worth having, even when they turn around and prosecute us, persecute <laughs> us, yes, discriminate. When they see God's morals through us in opposition to the morals they think society should have then Christians become the target. Yeah. And I think that that's why, you know, going wrapping this back around to BLM is they are anti-God, anti-church, anti-family. And all of the things that could fix a lot of the problems in, in our culture, in our society, they're against. And it's sad to me because we can't, their solutions, the what they are trying to do in order to fix what they can, they perceive as, the injustice that is going on in, in their neighborhoods and in their society. And I'm not saying that there isn't injustice. I mean, everybody always, you know, takes me out of context when I say, say stuff like this. <laughs> but my point is, is that rising up, you know, this whole black power movement, you know, going around and raising your fist and, you know, uh, going up to people that are just eating eating meals at a restaurant and demanding mm -hmm. that they, you know, say his name and, and, you know, swear to black power. That isn't fixing anything. If anything, it's making it worse because now people are scared. They're not just discriminating against black people, whether they were or not. Now they're scared of them. And yeah, intimidating. It, it's, it's creating fear. And, and with fear comes the exact opposite of what some people think they're trying to get. And I think that that's where some of the, the divide in our culture is coming on is, is that people say, well, you don't want to say black lives matter. Does that mean that the only issue that you have then is that you know, with the, with the word black? And I'm like, no, it's not that. I have no desire whatsoever to support what black lives matter stands for as an organization. And I'd much rather find a different way to 
exhibit my support to people who feel like they're being marginalized in our culture than support an organization that is against everything I stand for as a Christian. And that means not saying Black Lives Matter, not because I don't believe that Black Lives don't have value. It's because I don't want to associate with that organization. Right. The phrase itself has been hijacked. Right. Exactly. Before we leave this topic, there was one quote that I highlighted in our notes, and it's um, just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was a, an interesting line. And it, it comes from the, the concept of those of us who have lived through the Cold War kind of understand what that means, because in the 80s, especially, there was this great deal of tension between Russia and the United States. Mm-hmm. We didn't we weren't in open war. There was no and I shouldn't say Russia. The USSR it was not just Russia. It was the Soviet Union. There was this, you know, two opposite world powers who Neither of them wanted to start a war, because if we'd started the war, we would have destroyed the world, basically. And so we all sat on our nukes in our respective areas and just glared at each other across our borders and across an ocean and hoping that neither one of us was bold enough to start the war. But we didn't have peace. There was no war, but we didn't have peace. And I think that it was an interesting observation. It was actually Mystique who said this in the movie to Charles, that just because there is an open warfare, it doesn't necessarily mean there's peace. Yeah. And that that's an interesting insight into our culture as well, because right now I would say we are, we do have war right now. Our streets are un, unsafe and un, uh, there there's unrest that is uh, to the point of an internal, internal war in some places. It's not mm. everywhere. A lot of it is in, in the inner cities and not spread out to the suburbs or the rural areas. But we have places in the United States right now that are at war. But we have to remember that uh, when we're all coexisting, that doesn't necessarily mean there's peace. Yeah. <laughs> you made an interesting comment about where you were talking about our history with uh, black people in, in both in the UK and in the United States and I was thinking about that in the context of the X-Men universe. The whole concept of it is is evolutionary based. And I don't think we can discuss X-Men without talking about the comic book science that's involved <laughs> in, <Yeah>. in the <laughs> X-Men universe. And, and I was thinking about what you said about the persecution of Black people uh, culturally and historically, going back to slavery here in the States and across the culture. That slavery came out of a whole evolutionary worldview. And I think a lot of people like to forget that because it's not something that's welcome when we talk about evolution today, but that's what it came out of. It's like back in the the late 1700s and the there was this whole influx of ideas in which man has evolved from ape and there are uh, different levels of evolutionary man existing. And so the the black man was theoretically lower on the evolutionary scale than the white man. And that even came out, mm-hmm. you know, in the cleansing, the racial cleansing that, that came out of the Third Reich and in Nazism. And this this whole concept that we're we're trying to make man better. We're trying to use evolution as a tool to create the perfect man. And that whole concept, that whole evolutionary worldview 
really blown out of proportion in the X-Men, but it gives you a chance to kind of look at it. And I honestly don't think that we can talk about X-Men without dealing with that. And as many of you who have listened to the podcast for a very long time, you may already know this. I don't talk about it in every episode, but I am a young earth creationist, which in the Mm-hmm. Christian movement is sometimes, you know, we're considered the flat earthers, which I don't believe in a flat <laughs> earth, but um, anti-science, a lot of times it's called, you know, that you're anti-science or whatever. Yeah, there are a lot who paint who paint it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the interesting matter about it, and, and I actually pursued science for a while in college before I, I changed career paths. And genetics, I think, is a very fascinating study. And when you have this very antique view of genetics that came out in the early 60s, when the X-Men was uh, created, the original X-Men, the comic book, this idea that evolution could solve our problems, you know, that we could use mutations to create a better man, and that somehow or another, we were on this scale where we were going to get better over time. And we have, if nothing else, disproved that. And even though there are a lot of people who still hold to evolution, I think that it's not something that people are quite willing to discuss from a let's better the humanity kind of idea anymore, because almost all of the mutations that we know of in the human genome are bad. And the ones that are not bad typically are neutral. And if they're not, and if they're neutral, they don't count towards, you know, they're not like carried on so much as just added to the burden of sin on our genetics. And yeah. and so it just gets where it's a compilation of, of bad things that add up to bad things. And so I was doing a little bit of research and I, I found a, a couple of interesting articles, which we'll put in our show notes. Uh, one is the sad side of it, the genetic disorders. And this is uh, one of the things that you'll see, I'm sure that pretty much everybody has somebody either in their family or in their social circle that has some kind of mutation. And not in the kind of mutation that's talked about by Charles Xavier, you know, like <laughs> different colored superpowers. eyes or superpowers. <laughs> it's more like, you know, somebody has missing a vital gene on their DNA. Right. And, and usually it doesn't go too well. I have a friend whose son has Williams syndrome, which is like Down syndrome. It's a missing or a duplicated gene, and it causes mm-hmm. the, the children to have different kinds of ailments and, and usually disabilities in, in learning, as well as physical disabilities like heart defects. And those are mutations. That's what mutations do. And I would say that our propensity to get cancer cancer just seems to be blowing up. It's like everybody is getting cancer. And I think that in allergies, Hmm. you know, the extension to which people are getting allergies now, we have an inordinate amount of children that are born with egg allergies and gluten allergies. And it's just amazing to me. Maybe it's because we're testing more and we find them more, but it just seems like the mutations seem to be adding up in our culture and in our society. And it's just fascinating to me that we aren't up more upfront as a culture and showing the fact that mutations are bad, that what our culture, what we're seeing is actually a devolution of the human species. We're getting worse and worse mm. and worse. As a young earth creationist, I see this as 
a true negative against this whole evolutionary worldview is that, you know, we're not getting better. We're getting worse. We're seeing how our our societies are getting worse. Our genetic structure is getting worse. Uh, humanity isn't getting better. It's it's devolving. Uh, we may be living longer, but it's because we are applying medical science and to extending our lives, not necessarily because we're healthier stock. And we know this from a Christian worldview, because in um, Romans eight eighteen through 23, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains mm. until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. And I know a lot of people don't understand what it's saying there, but it's basically saying that because Adam sinned, we are living in a cursed existence. And it just gets yeah. worse and worse and worse. And there's no end in sight. And the only hope we have, the only hope creation has, the only hope our planet has is the redemption that comes through Christ and the new heavens and the new earth that we have looked forward to when God just is done with it and resets. And that's a sad thought. But we live in a world that is it that was created perfect and it was then marred by sin. <laughs> When you said when God is done with it and resets, I just I picture God, you know, pressing the power button on the on creation and holding it for five seconds, <laughs> waiting for it all to shut down and then pushing it again. Except, well, he's not just a a uh, programmer working on a computer. He no, <laughs> no, he's not the master engineer. Yeah, you know, and we marred it ourselves. We brought sin in. This is this is not God's fault, what we're living in. But at mm -hmm. the same time, God gave us, you know, the freedom to destroy our world. And let's face it, it, it presents opportunity to give glory to God. Yeah. By working against that which has corrupted and continues to corrupt all of creation. Mm -hmm. And a huge way that we do that is by demonstrating Christ's love. In everything we do. Yeah. And it's interesting because in Apocalypse, the character Apocalypse is supposed to be the first mutant. That's the way they set him up. Though in our previous discussion, if uh, Tim made the point that he was most likely a Cree and not actually a human mutant. Yeah. <laughs> but from a biblical worldview, we're all mutants because Adam was the only perfect human. And ever since sin has entered in, all we have done is at stacked mutation on top of mutation on top of mutation mm -hmm. and well adam and eve adam and eve yeah eve would have been a perfect human yeah yeah well and as a matter of fact once eve came along adam was no longer perfect because he wasn't symmetrical <laughs> she was his perfect other half <laughs> yeah okay yeah i'll, I'll, I'll give you that one that's true <laughs> they were designed to be together so yep, they they were indeed. And in this in this movie, also mutation is viewed as a giver of power, but in actuality, it's really just a destroyer. 
And that is yeah. uh, just kind of a, a wrap up on that that thought that. But that two is sin. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, it, it's a destroyer because of because of the fall, but sin in our lives, both in Christian lives and in the lives of not yet Christians, mm-hmm. it destroys. It destroys. It's just not quite as obvious. Yeah. What the damage is. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I do want to jump back in our previous theme. We were also talking about Nightcrawler and his portrayal as something that in common ideology, he would be considered a devil, you know, with the pointy tail and all of that. (laughs) What's interesting about his character in X-Men is that he's probably the most religious character (laughs) presented. This movie has a tremendous amount of references to you know, prayer and faith because of him, because he's one of the most faith representing characters in the movie. Yeah. An interesting juxtaposition on on the characters. But I did want to talk about, because as we do present a Christian worldview in regards to movies, I like to point out when movies represent uh, Christianity or Mm Judeo-Christian references. And this movie has quite a few of them, surprisingly enough. Beyond the fact, as we spoke in the previous episode of <laughs> Apocalypse, saying that he had taken on the name of uh, Elohim, yeah, there are multiple other things. One of the references, you can fire your arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you can never strike God. And I really liked that reference, because the whole concept of the Tower of Babel is that they were trying to build themselves a tower to be closer to God. And mm-hmm. to say that you are firing a- arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you will never strike God, is this whole concept of climbing all the way to the top of as close to God as you can get, and then trying to shoot God out of the sky or whatever it is. Mm. And the fr- yeah, It's almost like a mixed metaphor. Yeah, it? it's like the futility of trying to get close to God and... I think it was a really I, good phrase, I, I, actually, because <laughs> that's what mankind was I don't was remember doing. where in the movie this quote was. What was the context of it? Do you remember? It was when he was getting rid of all of the nuclear weapons. I think that's where it was. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had taken over Charles's mind. Well, actually, Charles using Cerebro and used it to control all, the, all of the people who had their fingers on the buttons. And he made mm-hmm. them fire all of their missiles into space so that we lost all of our ability to fight, I guess. But, you know, it's an interesting thought, because if you look back and you research on the Tower of Babel, you know, the the people that were building the Tower of Babel, they were trying to reach God, not in a good way, but in a bad way. And it was like they were trying to supplant God and build up an idol against God. And because of that, that's why God split up the nations and destroyed unity, basically. It's like, because when they unify, yeah. they set themselves up to be like God and try to replace God. And so he he broke up the world so that they would quit doing that. And when you look at the whole timeline of scripture, when we come to the end times, the whole concept of the one world government and, you know, the, the Antichrist is that unity in the world coming together again to supplant God. So it's like whatever mankind unifies, he attempts to supplant God. And it's just a very interesting quote. 
Then another thing that references the Bible is we were talking in the last episode about Apocalypse having his four horsemen, and that is actually mm-hmm. straight out of the Bible. The When it's brought up, they were talking about the four protectors that he imbues with power, and she says, like the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. He got that one from the Bible. And then the phrase was, or the Bible got it from him. So that whole concept of him being around before Christianity or even the Judeo religion. So they they trying to, at the same point that they're bringing up some very interesting uh, references to scripture at the same time, they're trying to supplant the whole concept mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, actually, you know, when it comes to putting religion in comics, it, they do it a lot. And, and I haven't read a lot of X-Men comics, at least not in... 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. but Nightcrawler Kurt was always one of my favorites because he felt most relatable to me because, you know, he believed in God. It was right there on the page. Yeah. In his prayer, and one of the quotes from the movie, this is actually when he's praying, trying to remember exactly when this was, but. It it was actually twice. yeah, Yeah. He prayed a couple times. Our dear father, hold me in the light of God. Hold me in the light of God. Protect me from danger. Save me by your command. Listen to my prayer and keep me safe. That's a pretty heartfelt prayer. Yeah. I actually thought it was uh, like a, a Catholic thing and tried to trace it down, but I, I couldn't yeah. find it anywhere outside of X-Men. Yeah. Well, I'm unfamiliar with the rote prayers from Catholicism, so I, I wouldn't be of help on that. But I do think it's interesting that he's praying for safety. And I, I know that that is... Uh, typically something that as Christians, we, we tend to pray for a lot when we probably shouldn't, mm-hmm. because as Christians, safety is probably the last thing <laughs> that um, we, I mean, God promises that we will endure persecution. And if we're not enduring persecution, we're probably not representing him very well to the world. <laughs> and so yeah. praying for safety yeah. is is kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, we do know that you know, God will protect us as he he sees fit and within his will. And so that, you know, as it fits into his plan, we are his foot soldiers. And, you know, you protect your army where they are doing your will. Yeah. Another phrase that came out of the movie, and this was actually a background thing, when Apocalypse was talking to Aurora in Egypt, in her little apartment that she had, the TV was playing in the background. And about the time he was having this conversation with her about how he was going to rebuild his kingdom, you know, basically there, there was a f- comment that came out of the television and they had to have planned this because I mean, it's background oh, yeah. noise. So it had to have been planned. It says in the dialogue on the television show, yes, you were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. And I just thought that was interesting that he, the whole time that he's talking about him being a God in the past and coming forward that, this culture has no room for gods. That was a real show, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Oh, it's actually Star Trek. Is it? Yeah, it was Star Trek, the original series. The episode was Who Mourns for Adonis. Very cool. Yeah. Science fiction, re- referring to science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> yeah. There was another prayer in this, and this was at the very end after they had managed to stop Apocalypse and destroy him before he destroyed the world, putting his finger on the reset button in a very deadly way. 
The announcer on the television says, it seems only by the grace of God that the ominous destruction seen from one end of the globe to the other has stopped. I kind of doubt that in our culture today, an announcer on television would actually use that phrase only by the grace of God. But yeah, it was an interesting thing to put in there. Not unless you were watching one, a Christian station or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I think creatively they put it in so that, so that it would stand out that they didn't know that it was the mutants who saved them. Mm. You know, that, that they were highlighting the fact that Xavier and his team have once again saved humanity and nobody knows about it. Nobody get noticed. Yeah. Because they'd already done it yeah. once with the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But everybody remembers Magneto attacking the president, not <laughs> them preventing the launch of a missile. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the the constant storyline of the X-Men, you know, is that Charles and his group always saves yep. the day and nobody cares. One of the other phrases that is more of an illusion than a than an actual quote, but uh, Charles, come rescue your weaklings, give your life for theirs. And that was uh, a phrase that Apocalypse was trying to get Charles to come out. He was hiding because if Apocalypse could get take over Charles, then he could have access to all the minds of all the world. And so he wanted to absorb Charles and Charles realized yeah. that at this point, giving his life for everybody would only make their life harder because he would be giving his life and, and giving extra power to apocalypse. But yeah, that to give your life for theirs is a concept of Christianity because that's what Christ did for us. He gave his life for our, uh, for us. So, X-Men, you know, really doesn't contain a lot of faith in God, but it's amazing how many references and allusions there are in the actual, in this movie especially. Yeah. It's an element of the reality that they've established, but it seems strangely absent from all the characters well, from, that from, we from their worldview. I mean, it's, it's present in the movie, but it's absent from their worldview. And Yeah. There was that scene where Magneto... It cries out to the sky, is this what you want from me? Is is this what I am? Mm -hmm. And he's clearly offering it up to uh, to Yahweh as a prayer. Right. And it's a it's a callback to his family's Jewish heritage. Yeah. But, you know, he's the bad guy in the other movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or at least he's the badder guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the things that I've kind of liked about X-Men is that there's all – there, there's a, a varying shade, but they give even the bad guys a reason for doing what they do. Because like even in yeah. even in Days of Future Past, you know, the fear of humanity has created this this culture where they've actually created these robots that adapt to the sentinels. The sentinels. They that they adapt to destroying mutants. And it's all built out of humanity's natural fear of those that are different from them and being left behind by their mutated brethren, basically. And so there's evil there, but it's an explainable evil. And so very rarely are yeah. any of the X-Men villains unexplainable in, in the paths that they take. And M Magneto especially, it's like, you can't really blame him. I mean, they always emphasize the beginning of X-Men and the beginning of X-Men First Class. They reiterate that history of the horrible Holocaust when they were 
you know, rounding Jews up and just sending them directly to death chambers and working them to death and starving them to death and just the horror of all of that. And he lived through that. So you, as a character, you can't really blame him for his, you know, the position that he takes. But as a bad guy, he's he's definitely relatable. And to see that weakness of him here in this movie, where he basically says, I don't understand God, you know, what is it you want from me? You keep building me up and tearing me down, and I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. And I don't know that mm. what the answer is, because, you know, his faith, even though he's addressing God, he doesn't really want an answer. Yeah. And I think that as us, as Christians, we have to have the faith of Job, where, you know, no matter how many times God tears us down, we have to see his hand in that. And I say, granted, it's really easy for me to say that right now, because I'm living a fairly decent life, and God isn't testing me that much. But I do know people in my life that are just undergoing uh, terrible health problems and loss of job and, you know, just horrible things going on in their lives. And it's really hard to hold on to, you know, your faith when you're in that valley. It's really easy when you're on top of the hill, but when you're in that valley, it's really hard. (laughs) That's for sure. I do want to touch on two last little things before we wrap this up. Mystique is an interesting character, and we've already touched on her to some extent, where she's hiding herself. And one of the things that is is kind of shown in this movie is this this contrast between who people are and what others think they should be. And, and I think, you know, that kind of comes back to our concept of what being a Christian is, you know, it's like the world has a definite idea of what Christians are of who Christians are. Yeah. And then we have what Christians should be biblically. And then we have what Christians are. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Those yeah, exactly. memes that used to go around uh, where they would pick something. It's like, this is what people think it is. This is what my mom thinks it is. This is what my dad thinks it is. This is what I really am, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's kind of, you know, how mystique is presented in this movie is that, you know, she, she has this background now where so many people idolize her as a heroine. She doesn't feel like a hero. And, you know, it's like she says in one point, she says, I couldn't save the rest of them. I told you I'm not a hero. So her definition of being a hero is somebody who saves everybody. But she saved who she could save. And so that, mm-hmm. you know, somebody told her, well, you can put it on any face that you want, but I know who you are and what you are. And... And that was, you know, she literally can take any face because of her power. But inside, it it takes the people who actually know who she is to define her and to love her for who she is, instead of putting on that face. And I think as Christians, we do, we put on a face, we put on the outer Christian, when we're around people, you know, especially when we're at church, you know, we put on the, the I'm at church Christian look. And we're different (laughs) people there than we are in our normal lives. And uh, I think the challenge as Christians is to live genuinely as Christians, regardless of our environment, instead of being the chameleon and, you know, trying to blend in wherever we are. We should be able to stand boldly for Christ in whatever environment we're in. The scripture for that, this is 1 Corinthians fifteen nine through 11. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, 
but the grace of God that was within me. And in Second Corinthians one twelve, mm-hmm. it says, Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you, with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. So just a reminder that as Christians, we are supposed to always be representing Christ and not ourselves. Put on that a fake, don't put on a fake facade of Christian, but live the spirit out from your heart. And we don't boast in our own accomplishments, but in the work of Christ. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that that is probably enough. <laughs> we could probably go on. Hmm. That's an over two hour movie. There's lots of stuff in there. And feel free to join us in our group. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you can you can join us at our group at areyoujustwatching.com slash community and come join in in discussion. We'd love to discuss any further insights that you have about this movie. You can also comment on the show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 110. And you can call and leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-818-2959. You can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And you can follow Tim and I either on Facebook or on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter at E. Franklin. I'm on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we're, I'm currently, I don't know about Tim, but I'm currently exploring some of the new social medias that are kind of picking up as people get fed up with both Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook and YouTube for being so uh, censorious of, of uh, certain thoughts and feelings and political views and religious views and basically just... Uh, it's- it's getting bad. I'm much more much more likely to drop all social media. I, I don't have time to establish a new presence right now. <laughs> well, for the sake of this podcast, though, I have to be experimenting. Yeah. So I am looking. I just joined yep. uh, MeWe, so you can look me up on MeWe if you want to find me there. I'll be exploring some other options, and if if you want to suggest some, you know, use the methods of communication. If there's some place you'd like mm-hmm. to see us. You can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts or any of the many places that you can get podcasts. We are on most of them. Stitcher. <laughs> um. And last but of course not least, I want to thank our patrons, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman for their monthly support. If you would like to support us, and we would dearly love to have your support, you can go to patreon.com slash are you just watching or contact me if you would like to give through PayPal. And I believe that's it. I can't think of anything else. We have not decided what we're going to do for December. Hopefully something drops in our lap. If you have a suggestion, come to our community and suggest something. Yeah. And we've been getting some great feedback and suggestions recently through the Facebook group. And please keep it up. Please, please, please keep them coming. Yeah, Yeah. we really like it. Particularly in this environment where, you know, the movie theaters are closed and we're just trying to come up with stuff to do. We're going to have to fall back to the Princess Bride at some point. (laughs) Which may not be a bad thing to do. It might be an interesting one to do. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not even entirely sure either one of us have to watch it. We just quote it. (laughs) Uh, No, yeah. You could do the female lines. I could do the male (laughs) lines. I'm pretty sure we could go the whole movie. The thing about doing movies in the theater right now is that not everybody has access to theaters. And so I've, I would feel yeah. kind of guilty to go to a movie and do a movie that our listeners may not have access to be able to go see themselves because so many of the states are still locked down. 
so many countries are still and you know down. S- some of the movies that I'm interested in doing are coming out in this new format where you can buy like they did with Mulan and uh, mm-hmm. and the Secret Garden. You can buy access to watch the movie, but it's twenty bucks. Yeah, which is great if you're a family of seven. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're one or two people watching it, then it's more than you would have spent. Well, you know, Mulan is released to the general audience on in December, so we might could consider doing that one. Oh, yeah. Dis- December 4th, I think, yeah. was supposed to be the day, right? Yeah, so that might be a consideration for December. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. and that would be a, a good family one to deal deal with, too. So that's, that's a thought. We could maybe do that. It's, and it's got... Uh, mysticism and everything in it from what I've seen of the previews might be interesting. Yeah. Although it's just not the same without I'll make a man out of you. So I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Yep. It's just not a musical. That's that's what I was putting ah. out. They, they took the music out. Well, sometimes you can get a little more movie in when you t- take out the music. Crazy talk. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a member of the Christian Podcast Community. Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org.